welcome. Life Before Medicine begins right now. I'm Dr. Bruce Crawford. I'm a board-certified urogynecologist. I'm here today with my co-host, exercise physiologist Heather Dibke, and our very special guest today, Dan Ritchie, who is from the Functional Aging Institute. He's going to tell you what that is. He's going to tell you why that matters in today's topic is exercise and aging. But before we dive into that topic, let's get to know Dan just a little bit. Welcome, Dan. We're so grateful that you took the time to meet with us today. Tell us a little yeah, bit about thanks, yourself. Thanks for having me. Thanks sure. for having me. I love doing these things. Well, cool. What is your story and what is FAI all about? Well, my story is training people to live well to 100, and uh, we might not all make it to 100, but if we're training to live well to 100, then if we only make it to 93, we'll still be doing really well when we get there, and so functional aging is really the name of the game for us. Um, we're not even that much about fitness as we are about function, so people should be exercising, training, um, performing physical activity to maintain their function for as late in life as possible so that you can keep doing all the things you need to do, like to do, want to do, dream to do, enjoy doing. And uh, I started out training athletes. I was a strength coach briefly, and I realized I don't think I can train athletes for the rest of my life. And so I started training a different type of athlete and uh, really got excited about training people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. And uh, that led us to form the Functional Aging Institute. I love it. I love it. You know, we all know and accept we're not going to live forever. We just don't want it to seem like forever, you know? And so the idea of, That's right. That's of, right. of pushing out the functional lifespan right up against the physical lifespan is a noble goal indeed. And I think we've learned a lot about it, despite the fact that over recent decades, we've started to see a very concerning shift in the longevity demographic and specifically the prediction of shorter lifespans for younger generations. And we had a great series on obesity, talking to a bariatric surgeon and a PhD psychologist who deals a lot with eating disorders and was able to couch the obesity epidemic as an environmental disease, bariatric surgery um, as a metabolic surgery, but also that there are um, many different ways to interpret um, that problem uh, in terms of health. And, a, um, and so I learned a lot from that. And a, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot from you today as well. What kind of specific programs does uh, FAI offer to address the um, prevalent need for improved fitness among the older population? Let's say we're talking about 60 and older. Yeah. Well, our, our primary focus, honestly, is educating the fitness professional, uh, physical therapist, chiropractor, those working um, in fitness and wellness um, with people that are aging. And, and aging can get tricky, right? Is, is 60 old? Well, not if you ask a 60-year-old. Is 50 old? Not if you right. ask a 50-year-old. Uh, if you ask a 20-year-old, they'll say they're both old, right? So, right, right. Um, so we look at it sort of as an aging lifespan, right? What do you need to be doing in your 50s? What do you need to be doing in your 60s? And so we're trying to educate and train the fitness professional that someone who's 60, well, they have a very real potential of being a personal training client 
fitness client, health club member for 25, 30 years, right? And so we've got to be doing different domains of what we call human function. So a little bit of power, a little bit of strength, a little bit of cardiovascular, some balance, some mobility. Um, we've got to be doing all the different domains of function, not just you know, walk on a treadmill and do some strength, right? We've got to be right. doing all aspects so that we're avoiding falls and we're avoiding injuries and we're avoiding some of these things that kind of trip up our seniors as they get later in life. And and we're training all the different aspects of what it is to be a, a well-performing functional human. At the end of the day, we're about functional ability, not so much even fitness. We're like, hey, can you do all the stuff you need to do? Can you do it well? Can you do it with energy? Can you do it safely? Um, because we know if you keep doing those things, you will keep doing those things. And we don't want you to bump into, oh, well, I had to stop playing with the grandkids or I had to stop hiking or I had to stop biking or I had to give up whatever it happens to be. We don't want that to happen. So, so we train really for life and we say functional ability is, is really quality of life. And that's our focus. And, and I think we know and recognize that there is an inevitable deterioration in our physiology as we age. It is inescapable, but there are some things that can be done to retard that. We know there's a three to 8% loss of skeletal muscle mass per decade after age 30. Yep. Uh, in, you know, um, when I say we know that, I think people have a sense that, that occurs. They may not know the actual statistic, but it's concerning. If you're 30 and you lose 8% and then you lose another 8% between uh, 40 and 50, and another, you know, pretty soon that is impacting not only your energy, but your stability, increasing your fall risk. You know, a, a fall, a uh, ER visit related to a fall occurs every 11 seconds in the United States. And the likelihood of not getting out of a nursing home if you break your hip after age 70 or 75 is yeah. substantial. And so these are the kinds of things I think we need to impress upon our audience that, you know, this requires a fight. Now, how much can one do to retard or even reverse this inevitable loss of skeletal muscle mass? Yeah, that's a great question. And and we talk about that research quite a bit because you even said three to eight percent. I mean, just think about how gigantic that range is, right? Are you losing three percent of your muscle mass or eight percent? And and that's on average, right? Which means there are some people doing worse than average, which right. means they're doing even worse than eight percent, which means they're probably very sedentary and they have some genetic predisposition to lose losing and shedding muscle tissue. And then there are some people that are above average who are probably training aggressively, have some genetics for putting on muscle easily. And so I always tell people, you need to be above average on those statistics. So if you're only losing one to 2% of your muscle tissue, then it's not as significant. But it also means physiologic reserve is critical. If you start at the age of 30, as strong and fit as you are genetically possible to be, then your rate of decline is from a mountain peak. If you start at 30 as a couch potato with very little muscle mass and you decline from there, well, you're going to decline a whole lot differently, right? So I always say to everyone listening right now, you can work on getting stronger right now, wherever you're at. And so if you're listening and you're like, well, I'm only 40, it doesn't really apply to me. 
it absolutely applies to you and you better get after it right now because what you're going to feel like and be able to do in your 70s and 80s is directly proportional to what you're doing right now in terms of building physiologic reserve this is why at 47 years old i'm strength training every single week I'm working moving. harder than you did when you were 25 years old Maybe not harder than when I was 25, because I was a little stronger then, but I am paying attention to, am I as strong as I was in my 20s and 30s? Because I sure want to be as close as possible to my 20s and 30s here at 47, because I know it's going to impact me when I'm 57, right? right? If if my rate of decline is much slower and more gradual, by the time I get to 67, I'm still going to be stronger than all of my peers, right? I'm going to be above average, which is really what we want. You don't want to be on the bottom of that average curve. And so strength training two to three times a week is absolutely critical in our 30s, in our 40s, in our 50s. We have to continue it. And I think it gets even more important for women postmenopausal. Uh, we, we start to see an uptick. Women start to shift in terms of their muscle loss after menopause. And so we have got to be strength training and women have a higher uh, propensity towards sarcopenia impacting their functional ability, right? So if, if you're the strongest person in the room and you decline 50%, you're still stronger than half the room, right? But if you're one of the weaker people in the room and you decline 50%, now you're having trouble getting out of a chair. And this is where we see women with osteoporosis falling and breaking a hip. Like you said, do you have to be super strong as a 75 year old? No, but you have to be strong enough again to do all the things you want to do, right? You got to be able to carry the groceries in and you got to be able to, you know, get the dog food and you got to be able to, you know, cook and bathe and dress yourself and do household chores and carry the laundry. And you have to have some level of strength. Right? Your point's well taken. And, and I'm glad you mentioned osteoporosis because while you were talking, I was thinking about something I often counsel my own patients about um, with respect to osteoporosis. And it's reasonable to consider osteoporosis a disease of adolescence because it's where you start losing bone that matters. If you yep. don't yep. lay the bone down when you're growing, you're starting from a lower point. And you're, you're saying that fitness is not unlike that um, as we age. If you're starting from a point of relatively lower muscle mass, poorer conditioning, you are even more vulnerable. And this shouldn't be a... Uh, uh, discouraging comment this should be a call to action because what you're saying also is that you can do something about it today you can yeah. make a commitment today and yeah. when we learned uh, last week about the importance of finding in internal or, uh, or intrinsic motivation finding something that you genuinely enjoy and like People have had negative experiences, I think, with fitness training, forcing them to do things that they do not like. And right. it's hard yes. to uh, maintain that. Even the, the most stubborn among us, I think, would be challenged by that. So what kinds of um, options do people have in terms of forms of strength training? And what specifically are we talking about? Is it five minutes a day, 10 minutes, three times a week? What Lay out for us something that's practical that somebody hearing this that says, oh my gosh, I got to get busy today so that my quality of life, my ability to participate with my family in my 70s and 80s is going to be as good as I hope. What would, would yeah. you suggest? Yeah. 
Yeah. So kind of two things there that you said, one is um, the concept of it really never is too late to start. So if you're listening to this going, Oh man, I really haven't done what I should have done in my forties and fifties. And now they're right. I'm 67 and I'm feeling it. I don't have the strength of my youth. And well, then let's get after it with everything you've got, right? Let's start fighting this aging curve that, you know, you're not doing as well on as you should be. And so I think you should be doing strength training with also a speed component. So I mentioned power training at least uh, two to three times a week. Now, the two to three times I, I say is variable because if you're going to spend 45 to 55 minutes doing it twice a week is probably enough. If you're going to say, oh, I don't have that much time. Well, then let's get after it three times a week for 20 to 30 minutes. Right? At, at my at my training studio and across the Functional Agent Institute, we recommend 30-minute training sessions a minimum of three times a week. Now, if you can't do three times a week, then those two time a week sessions need to be a little longer because we got to get in some balance, some strength, some power, make sure we're coordinating those. Cause the last thing we want to do is just get you stronger, but not with better agility and balance and, and speed. So we don't want you to not be able to use that strength in a practical way. Develop that a little bit farther, distinguish strength training from power training. What is the difference or similarity? Yeah, great question. So strength training is purely strength movements. I'm moving mm -hmm. something, whether it's a resistance band, a dumbbell, a machine, uh, maybe a medicine ball. Uh, I mean, you can do strength training, picking up a, a 20 pound, you know, sack of potatoes or dog food. I mean, anytime you're moving a weight, right, that's strength training. Power training is essentially strength with speed. So now we're talking about getting out of a chair fast or throwing a medicine ball across a room mm. or moving a resistance band as if you're punching someone as opposed to just pressing it. So it's strength with a speed component. So step ups, for example, are a favorite exercise for lower body strength. Well, it's great for strength, but if you want to do it for speed, now we're doing strength and speed. We're getting power. So. I see. And we talk about this all the time. And Dan, uh, you have been a great supporter of the Pilates program. Pilates is a pelvic floor performance training program that um, Heather and I have developed and is now broadly disseminated. And you should all look into it. P-F-I-L-A-T-E-S.com. And we talk about power all the time that strength isn't enough. And the Pilates program was designed with a plyometric component to not only increase the size, i.e. strength of muscle fibers, but to synchronize those fibers. So they fire at the same time, creating speed. Strength yep. times speed, we remember from high school physics, is power. And power is essential for the functional things that we need to be able to do safely, no matter what our age is, but especially as we get older. And so I'm glad to hear you say that you're well aware of, of it not just being about strength, but also about speed, but also about coordination. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I think... We think, oh, wait, I'm, I'm in my 70s or 80s. I, I don't need to be powerful. Well, sometimes we get the word con confused a little bit. You, you need to have enough power to be able to climb stairs. I mean, try climbing stairs as slowly as possible. It becomes an excruciatingly difficult task, right? You have to go upstairs with some level of speed. Try getting out of a chair or off the toilet as slow as possible. Again, we have to have a level of speed. So... Power training doesn't have to be 
ridiculous, crazy things like throwing a shot put or a javelin or slinging barbells over our head. You know, we envision these, you know, NFL linemen running people over and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm saying enough power so that you can climb a flight of stairs, right? Yeah. Enough power so that you can get up and down from the floor. Enough power so you can get out of a chair quickly and beat me to the buffet line. Right, right. That's the kind right. of power we're talking about. Just a little bit of quick, short burst type activity. So, so the word. Can you also talk a little bit about? I mean, because one of the primary functions of power is also that it improves our reaction skill timing, right? So, for an older person, I mean, some of the benefits are being able to react quickly from the gas pedal to the brake. Um, if you're about to slip, you know, on ice or a rug. I mean, there's more benefits than just the stair climbing. And, you know, there's very functional things from an injury prevention perspective that power training helps us with as we go through the aging process. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned it, Heather, one of the most important power exercises is stepping fast, Mm -hmm. stepping fast, stomping, changing direction. Somebody knocks you off balance in the grocery store. Are you going to respond fast to that and step quickly? That's power. It's Mm -hmm. speed much more so than it's strength. I don't have to be really strong if someone bumps into me, but I have to be pretty quick. I have to respond to that with a speed component. So stepping fast, stomping, powerful, steps right take a big bigger step mm-hmm. um, is really important when we think about fall prevention yes. right I, I slip i trip inevitably it happens to all of us right mm-hmm. no parking block has ever tripped anyone they will claim that it held oh, a parking <laughs> block reached out and grabbed me the parking block <laughs> has been fixed there it didn't move it didn't grab you it didn't do anything to you you didn't get your foot over it and then you didn't respond quickly enough to what mm-hmm. happened right so so power a lot of times is very much about how quickly can you react to your environment right yeah, you step you step off a curb and the ground is wetter than you thought it was going to be or or maybe ever stepped off a curb and you're like whoa that was a half inch farther than i thought it was going to be do you react quickly to that right so that's in and of itself that's the simplicity of power it's not Mm -hmm. it's not i've got to knock somebody down it's not i've got to throw a hundred pounds up in a, a closet it's can you move with a little bit of speed yeah, and it really brings to mind also the interface between strength and power, yes. but also cognition. Your ability to respond depends on brain health. And yep. there seems to be a clearer and clearer relationship between fitness training and brain health as we age, especially aerobic fitness training, um, we know, has a favorable favorable effect on the inevitable loss of tissue in the hippocampus, for instance. And that so that the hippocampus is sort of part of the temporal lobe of the brain. It's not part of the neocortex, but it is a cortical structure that is essential for not just memory, but cognition, emotionality, sexuality, and and you know it's and so we're all kind of aware of uh, the stereotype of someone aging and getting more grumpy and rigid in their thinking, right? And you and you can look at that person and say, "Wow, what an asshole," or you can say, "Ah, oh, terrible hippocampus loss, inevitable consequence of aging." But there are some things, and especially it seems a reasonable amount of aerobic exercise can a, uh, have a very favorable effect on losing this essential brain structure. And, um, you know, what, 
what do you say at FAI about this interface between fitness and cognition? Yeah, well, just like all the other aspects of our physiology, right? So our our muscle loss, we've talked about our bone loss, our speed loss, our power loss. Uh, cognitive health is is right there as well, and so we have to be exercising with our brain in mind, um, which means not only do we have to be doing some aerobic activity at a moderate to vigorous intensity, so we're getting enough stimulation to our brain, enough. Uh, oxygen to our brain to keep our brain younger we also have to be doing new things which is one of the reasons Mm. why when we recommend people train at least three times a week we recommend they do different things all the time so our brain is constantly being taught or learning new activities right so So it's not just muscle confusion that you're going after it's actually more of a uh, neurophysiology effect yes on the brain. it's the neuro it's the neurophysiology we want we want the brain to lay down new neural pathways to say hey i have to just like kids do right you study kids at four five and six and, and they can't skip right it's like well the brain hasn't figured out that coordinated neuromuscular movement pattern and so we want to be laying down new neural pathways for even things like dancing tai chi there's different forms of exercise we can encourage people to take yoga encourage people to take even outside of their training go learn a new sport like pickleball or tennis Um, take up a new activity where your brain has to grow and respond to that and and those are critical for maintaining our, our cognitive fitness. But consistent training, and, and one of the reasons we came out with a, a program called the Brain Health Trainer was when we do strength training, power training, flexibility, mobility, balance, all these different movements, let's add a cognitive component to that, right? Let's stimulate the brain to say, wait, what are we doing? Let's do some dual tasking during some of our strength training and power training and get the brain working even harder. And so you don't just have to hop on a treadmill or elliptical, right? And do your cardiovascular work. You can hop on there and add some dual tasking tasks and and really try to get the maximal out of uh, your brain fitness as well. And again, we're trying to build cognitive reserve. So, so everyone at, at uh, all of your instructors are having their uh, clients do, do uh, Sudoku's on the treadmill. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying, actually. Oh, okay. um, there's nothing wrong with Sudoku and crossword <laughs> puzzles and those sorts of things, but that's really not what we're, we're looking for. Um, when you're doing cardiovascular activity or even balance things, we want to actually have some cognitive tasks. So you might be calling out colors or numbers oh, or recalling lists, right? You're actually doing specific performance things um, as opposed to just being distracted by say, you know, some sort of crossword puzzle. Um, but we want to have a, a formulaic sort of method. So one thing we'll do when we're doing balance uh, or agility work, we might have people count backwards from 10. Um, we might have them count to 10. We might have them shout out five different animal names, right? And so we'll hold up pictures. So as they're doing the obstacle courses, they have to call out certain things. So cognitively, they're being stimulated. They're they're being asked to do a task while they're doing a physical task at the same time. Interesting, interesting. Because we know there is a decline in cognitive ability with age. You might have done the yep. New York Times crossword puzzle in less than 15 minutes as a young person, and, and now it's pretty much just word search puzzles, you know? And, and 
I don't, I think just like recognizing the a, um, physiologic reserve, we need to also recognize the cognitive reserve that we're dealing with. Because if you lose that, if you lose yeah. the cognitive reserve, how well are you going to be able to apply or care about applying any kind of strategy that's going to address the, uh, your muscle mass, your power, Absolutely. your Absolutely. flexibility? And, uh, and, and the research is showing us more and more that stronger, fitter people have more cognitive reserve. In fact, when you look at a cross-sectional area of someone's brain in their 70s, if they've been strength training and maintaining their muscle mass, if they've been cardiovascular training and maintaining their cardiovascular health, their brain is denser. And so if you want to keep your brain healthier and, and have more cognitive reserve, You've got to be exercising. You've got to be doing strength training. I mean, who would have thought that building bigger muscles actually meant you were building your brain, right? The brain is not really a muscle, um, but we have to think about it that way sometimes. Like, we've got to be exercising to maintain our brain. I, I think this is true, and I'm sure, Heather, this has been your experience as well, that, that our clients, our patients, often distinguish between the physical body and the brain, as if they were part of two separate entities. But, you know, the idea of the mind-body connection kind of sounded airy-fairy 30 or 40 years ago, but it has been absolutely borne out uh, with uh, scientific research that shows us that healthy body, healthy mind. And it's probably a two-way street, healthy mind, healthy body. And so I think, I think you know, paying attention to a, uh, the idea of, of performance training in a way that enhances not only your, your cognitive capacity, but also your neuroplasticity. How well are you going able to recover from loss of brain function? If you have a stroke, if you um, are uh, exposed to relatively high dose corticosteroids for a prolonged period of time, these things that we know have a negative impact on brain tissue, what was your reserve when that happened? What was your reserve and what can you do today to make sure that you are preserving that reserve as best you can? Yeah, and, and, and let's be honest about that from a whole global perspective, right? I mean, you can talk about pelvic floor dysfunction, you can talk about upper body strength, lower body power, balance, cognitive, all aspects of it. We're all going to be faced with some challenges in life. I mean, yeah, I don't know if or when you might get cancer or, you know, suffer a stroke or you get a Parkinson's diagnosis or, you know, none of those things happen to you and, and somebody hits you at a four-way stop sign. And all of a sudden now you got two broken bones you weren't expecting and a back that doesn't work the same. We're all going to run into some challenges and how we mitigate those challenges, deal with those challenges, recover and bounce back from those challenges. Again, it's very much based on the physiologic and cognitive reserve that you've been building and maintaining. And so this is why one person at 70 has a knee replacement, bounces back just fine. Somebody else has a knee replacement and they're never the same. Right. Right. Or one 70 year old falls and breaks a hip. 
Six months later, they're fully recovered back to all their activities of daily living, and the other 70-year-old is dead within 12 months. You're like, wait a minute, how did that happen? Grandma was cooking Thanksgiving. A year later, she's gone. Well, she slipped on some ice. She fell and broke her hip. She never really bounced back from it. She wound up in a nursing home. What we didn't realize was at 70, she didn't have the physiologic reserve to recover from a hip fracture because she was already too weak, lost too much power, didn't have enough bone density. And for her to overcome that sort of injury was just too great. And we'd say, well, that's ridiculous. A 70 year old should completely bounce back from that. Right. And so I'm not saying you're not going to have challenges in life. I'm sure there's people listening right now. Well, yeah, but I had cancer. We've had lots of clients that have had cancer. The question is, how strong are you when you go into cancer? Because beating cancer is no small task. It's not an easy thing to do. And you come out the other side and you feel like you got five, 10 years older. And then you got to recover and bounce back from that. So building physiologic and cognitive reserve allows us to get through so many challenges that life throws at us and not succumb to them, right? Totally true. Totally true. And a, a prudent reserve. When we hear that phrase, prudent reserve, we don't think about physical fitness or mental fitness, mental reserve. We think about usually a financial implication. We have insurance. We have hopefully some savings. We um, maybe we even have uh, food stores just in case we need them someday. We take measures to adopt a prudent reserve, but we need to also extend this same idea to our physical being, which includes both mind and body. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all know we have to invest in our future, and we think of that in a financial way. We should be thinking of that in a physical way just as much. What good does it do to invest and be wealthy but not invest to be healthy, right? Like the last thing you want to do is have a pile of money because you've spent so much time working, and then you get there and you can't enjoy it because your body – won't allow you to enjoy it. So you should be investing in all aspects of your health at least as much as you're investing in your future wealth. Right. How can we, I'm sorry, go on, Heather. Oh, I was just curious, Dan, if you could talk, we talked a little bit about fall prevention and building reserves cognitively. A lot of what we try to do with life before medicine is have people avoid utilization of the medical system. So a big part of physical fitness is kind of being able to avoid these metabolic diseases like diabetes, like hypertension, like hyperlipidemia, things that we know lifestyle and fitness in particular are huge preventative measures people can take. And it's it's expensive to be a diabetic. Um, There's a multitude of things that could happen um, health-wise that are negative if you have diabetes. Can you talk a little bit about fitness relating specifically to that component of health as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, Look, as, as we age, chronic conditions start to creep up on us, right? And things like you mentioned, diabetes, obesity, for sure, metabolic syndrome, uh, arthritis, joint dysfunction. There are other aspects that aging 
the physiology starts to come in. However, if we're maintaining our fitness, if we're maintaining our body weight, if we're staying at a healthier body weight, sometimes we can even be 30, 40 pounds overweight and we won't become diabetic because we're fit. Mm -hmm. We're exercising enough. And so exercise is like, it's really the most unbelievable medicine we have, right? I mean, it's like, what condition do you have? Exercise improves it in almost every single category. Um, helps with blood sugar, helps with uh, high cholesterol, helps with high blood pressure. Um, medicines don't cure hypertension. I think sometimes patients are like, well, I just, my blood pressure is fine because I take the medicine. The medicine's not curing it, right? Exercise and fitness can actually cure it. Right. Now, Sometimes physicians get a bad rap. We're like, oh, well, the physician should be prescribing exercise. The physician's been telling their patient to exercise for 20 years. You know, if you want to get rid of your high blood pressure, you should probably drop 20 pounds and start some cardiovascular fitness. Your heart is not fit. Your cardiovascular system is not fit. That's why your blood pressure is creeping up in most cases, right? So we know we can impact diabetes. We know we can impact arthritis. We know we can impact hypertension, uh, cardiovascular disease risk. Um, fitness is critical across all of these chronic conditions we also know that those chronic conditions keep piling up and creeping up and guess what happens we turn 75 or 78 or 80 and all of a sudden we're on six seven eight medications for all of these different conditions and i hate to tell you but once you're on more than three medications your fall risk starts to go up exponentially with each and every medication you add i mean six medications well, no wonder you don't know how you wound up on the floor because at some point you got dizzy, you blacked out and down you went. And if you hit your head on the sink going down, you, you certainly aren't going to remember why or when you fell. Well, right? That so, is such an astute point, Dan, and I really appreciate you making it. You know, among the pharmaceutical products that are available to patients that patients take regularly those with anticholinergic side effects um, are quite numerous and it has a cumulative effect so if you know drug a has x amount of anticholinergic side effect and drug y has you know it's it's additive across those and and the if you know the next thing you know you're driving up a tree because you've got this anticholinergic burden that really probably, and I'm saying this as a physician, hasn't been adequately discussed. And, and you can't rely on your physician to introduce you to, the, in an earnest way, the importance of incorporating fitness um, and, if need be, weight loss into your health plan. I, I think there's just this apathy that has descended upon our medical community that, yeah, we figure everyone knows they shouldn't smoke. Everyone knows they shouldn't eat tons of fried foods. So I'm, you know what? I'm done. I'm not even going to mention it anymore. Right. 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 And so you, everyone, everyone knows they shouldn't sit all day and eat ice cream, right. but you know, right. I, I mean, I think sometimes we even give physicians a bad rap because I think physicians probably are recommending more exercise than they get credit for. But the patient hears, eh, you're doing pretty good. Keep taking your medis medicines. I'll see you in six months. The patient didn't hear, hey, you know, you should start an exercise program like I told you the last time. If you would please just walk. If you'd try to drop 20 pounds, we could cut some of your medications. But what they hear is, I'll see you again in six months. You're doing right. pretty good, right? Well, it's like saying, well, I'm, I'm sorry, go on, Heather. Oh, I just, Dan, you know from research, I mean, the biggest predictor of longevity and quality of life as we age 
is regular, consistent exercise. I mean, there is literally no detriment to exercising consistently. So I I think it's wonderful what your organization does. So for the people that are listening and are are inspired, you know, like, yes, okay, I need to do something. How, how can we get in touch with, obviously you train your people very well. And this is exactly the group that, that they're designed to work with. How, how can they find you? How can they find your trainers? Yeah, it's a great question. We have trainers now in 34 countries. Um, I think 49, 49 out of 50 states. We're still looking for Wyoming. Anybody know a trainer in Wyoming? So you just go to our website, functionalaginginstitute.com, and then right on our homepage there on the About section, there's a Find a Professional Map. So you can look at the whole worldwide map. I see we got trainers, I think, looking at it right now in every continent across the world. Um, and you just kind of type in your state or your city or your zip code and, and it'll pull up who's near you. Um, and you can always reach out to us too. If you're, if you're not finding one and you're like, man, I really would have thought there'd be one in Tucson. Um, then hit the contact us page and we'll look in our database. And sometimes we have trainers that haven't quite registered on the map and you know, they might be living right in your neighborhood. So we're happy oh, to connect. Yeah. Some happy to connect would trainers. like to learn to get trained after listening. There, to you. We have a lot of people who want, to get the training themselves and that's totally mm-hmm. fine you don't have to be a trainer to, to get the training and and don't feel like we're going to start sending you clients if you don't want them you can do it <laughs> just for yourself some people like that right. who learns more than the teacher right that's just something we're all familiar with the teacher always learns more and so exactly, i think that's exactly. just such a great point get involved and not only do you benefit but you will have potentially a great beneficial effect on a lot of other people we we have functional aging specialists in their mid to late 80s right and i'm always like are you still training clients yeah i train about eight to ten a week i'm really working part-time i'm semi-retired but i like doing it i like helping people and of course some of our oldest trainers they're 85 86 88 years old they're all of their clients are younger than them you know so if you're if you're listening and you're thinking oh i don't know Hey, you can get the material just for yourself. Train yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, and what a great role model for the younger people. What yeah, a great right. example of right. how to age well. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We are all teachers. And, and, you know, life before medicine is about defining an off-ramp for people. Not necessarily just not to avoid interaction or intervention from the healthcare system, but to avoid the need for intervention mm-hmm. from the healthcare system. And, and so if your doctor says, lose weight, get fit and make your copay, and I'll see you in six months, that ain't cutting it. That's not. That's like saying, okay, I'm going to be vegan, and you buy a large container of tofu, and you eat it, and say, ah, oh, it tastes terrible, forget it. I'm going back to a <laughs> lifestyle that gave me some pleasure. No, it takes more work than that, some structure. But Life Before Medicine has presented today a, an access point for that kind of structure. Make a decision. You're going to do something today that benefits you for decades to come, but also benefits those that witness you, your children, family members that are learning from you. You're their teacher. And so um, I think this is just a perfect life before medicine topic. And Dan, you presented it so lucidly um, that I think we've given uh, something of real value to the listener today. And I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for that. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, love love being here and uh, look forward to hearing the episode. And if you guys have any any other need, uh, have me back anytime. And if, if people need help, they can find us on our website. You are the best. You are the best. Everybody, this has been Life Before Medicine. We bring you a podcast every week dealing with healthcare issues that are most likely to avoid in medical intervention and what you can do to avoid the need for that intervention. I'm Dr. Bruce Crawford, board certified urogynecologist here today with Heather Dibke and Dan Ritchie, outstanding partners. I'm grateful to have them. I'm grateful for your attention today. We'll be in touch. You be in touch too. Thanks very much. <laughs>